Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Kentucky writer Ed McClanahan just keeps on writing. He does that in his comfortable home nestled in a quiet neighborhood near downtown Lexington. Since the mid-1950s, McClanahan has written short stories, essays, and reviews in Esquire, Playboy, and Rolling Stone. His notable work includes The Natural Man, Famous People I Have Known, and Congress of Wonders. Ed was born and educated in Kentucky. In the early days, he received a Wallace Stegner Fellowship to Stanford, and during that time got to know writer Ken Kesey, Kesey the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Kesey's Merry Pranksters also included, besides Ed, Wendell Berry and Gurney Norman. On November 12th, as part of the celebration of books and writing at the Kentucky Book Festival, McClanahan will be front and center with writers Bobby Ann Mason, Marianne Taylor Hall, and Gurney Norman. At Arts Place in downtown Lexington at noon that day, the writers will be in conversation with Crystal Wilkinson at the Kentucky Book Festival Literary Lunch. I spoke with Ed recently in his home. He was surrounded by posters, memorabilia, and a laser pointer used so he wouldn't have to get up from his chair to point out something of interest. Ed, uh, tell us about this place we're in today and what it means to you. This room, this space. Well, as I mentioned when you all came, my wife told me when we first moved in here, she said, you can keep all this stuff if you keep it all in one space. So this this is where it all ended up. But um, I, I just like being in a place that reminds me of where I've been and who I've been <laughs> in, in various phases of my life. And uh, I, I, there's not an item in here, and there must be thousands. There's not one that doesn't have some kind of little story attached to it in my head. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's like it's like I walk into my own mind when I come in here, uh, or into my own memory at any rate. And uh, it uh, it's very it's it's important to me to have a space like this. I've always had one. I've always had a I always carved out a little place, no matter where I've lived, uh, a little place to be mine. And why is that important to a writer? I just think you have to get comfortable with who you are, and you can't be very comfortable on a train or an airplane or uh, a hotel room or something. You know, it's just uh, uh, I can't imagine being at ease in that situation. I'm always, I mean, that makes me tense in another way that I don't want to be, I don't want to have it going on while I'm trying to write, you know, um, that sort of tension. Describe for us, if you will, as you just look around, 
and, and point out and give us some uh, description of what some of these uh, items are and, and why they are important to you. Right. And he's opening up a drawer. I'll do it. And, I'm, what I'm and he's going to look for something here besides a magnifying glass, <laughs> which we all should have, yeah, and some toothpaste. what you might come up with in here, but what I'm looking for. I'm glad it's you looking in there instead of us. I might be afraid to. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things have a tendency to there's, push back in them. There's what I was looking for. Oh, okay. Then there's describe a, that to us. That's just a little um, pointer. Um, for, laser pointer. For a laser pointer? Laser pointer, yeah. Uh, I was going to point out some things. I, I've done this. I used to bring students in here and sit them down and tell them about the stuff in here. Um, uh, one thing I always tell them about is this: this these posters here, the, these four uh, bullet knife posters. They're um, uh, they're painted by a, a very good friend of mine, and they're paint, paintings of a, a very close friend of mine, this guy right right here. Uh, his name is Kent Crockett, and he's, uh, there he is, uh, there with me years and years ago. He's a Californian, and a, guy that I talked to on the phone constantly is, uh, um, uh, was a creative, or not a creative writing teacher, a literature teacher mm -hmm. at, in California colleges and uh, a very interesting guy. But I, I love the fact that uh, he turns up in these paintings. He's, these are all paintings for the ads for the bullet knife. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in this one, he's cutting the canoe loose because it's caught in a rapid, and then they're all about to go down. Then he broke his arm, mm. supposedly, in this incident, and this guy is fixing his arm. And by the way, the guy who's fixing his arm is the guy who painted the picture. And one of these other people is Kent's son, and here comes a bear across the river <laughs> over there. The bear gets there in this one, and they're in the tent, and they're, he's cut his way out with the knife. And in this one, the horse is running away, and, he's, and one of them is cutting the horse loose uh, with the knife. So it's... Clever. Yeah. <laughs> you always need a good bullet knife, don't right. you? Right. <laughs> so when were these from? The fifties, sixties? Um, he Larry painted those in the in the seventies, mm. I think, um, and they were a big deal in advertising. Advertising. He also did this poster here for Levi's, and it, the light makes it impossible to see. But really, but the smokestacks on that on that uh, riverboat are. Levi's, <laughs> their pants upside down, and on the on the the paddle wheel on the on the steamboat is uh, Levi's Levi's shirts, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so uh, this poster was in thousands of Levi's stores around the country for a while. 
Um, let's see, there's my acid test graduation uh, certificate. <laughs> Who's that signed by? Uh, uh, that's uh, signed by Kesey, I think. Is it? I believe so. Yeah. It's on there somewhere. And um, there's my Universal Life Church uh, membership. Um, Don't tell anybody, but I have one of those too. Oh, really? No kidding. A lot of people do. (laughs) But some iconic uh, pictures too, right below that. That's a guy Mendes photograph. Uh He's reproduced a lot. And then little Enos down here? Enos and the Go Go Girls there. Uh, Well, when you are here and. And the words might not be right where you want them to be. Uh, do, do gazing at those give you some inspiration? Sometimes, yep. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many, uh, what at the thoughts that spring from these from looking at these things. There's the R. Crumb. That's the original cover for famous people I've known. It is Bach. Crumb. I mean that that is his painting, and uh, he was. What's right below that? This here. Mm-hmm. That's a Stedman still life uh, that he mm-hmm. Ralph Stedman that mm-hmm. he did for um, uh, part. It's partly on the on my book uh, my Vita, um, Oh the Clear Moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's on the back of the back of that book. Well, tell us about uh, some of the other places that you 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 called your writing place you you spent some time up in Henry County was it inspirational to be out in the country I've been out there uh to Mr. Barry's home and I know Mm -hmm. how remote that is yeah oh it was wonderful um uh, I my my favorite book is um a Congress of Wonders, my book, my favorite book of mine. I mean, it ain't the Bible or anything, but, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that book really, I could never have written that book if I hadn't lived in Henry County because it's, you know, and, and my favorite story in that book is the one called. Um, uh, is the story about Finch Bronk, the final, uh, it's a novella, really. And uh, it has to do with his, partly with his inadequacies as a farmer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would not have known if I hadn't experienced my own inadequacies up there. And... and, uh, uh, discovered that, uh, in fact, I I really enjoyed the work. You know, I I wouldn't have thought so at all. Uh, but uh, um, living living next door to Wendell was an education that that, that came late, but uh, a really uh, important one for you me. You had to get up early to keep up with him, didn't oh, you? Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. There wasn't uh, there wasn't any getting ahead of him. I'll tell you, it it was it was uh, instructive. In your early years, uh, when you were um, all over the country for a while, mm-hmm. um, can you recall uh, some of your writing places uh, that oh, you yeah. can tell us about? 
In California, Gurney and I had offices in an old building in downtown Palo Alto called the Poppycock, uh, or we called it that. It was uh, it was a commercial building. It's still there, still standing. I saw pictures of it just the other day. Bobby Ann was out there and went and specially took pictures of it for Gurney and me. And uh, we had offices, mine cost $25 a month, and I think Gurney's cost 20 if I'm not mistaken, because I had running water in mine, (laughs) (laughs) which meant that it had a little sink in it, uh, which... Why the name Poppycock? Well, there was a fish and chips cafe downstairs called the Poppycock. And the the poppycock eventually turned into a little nightclub. Uh, it was it kept the name poppycock for a long time, and then later it was called In Your Ear. But it it had music uh, almost well music every weekend, no matter what it was called, what variation it was living under at that moment. And so my uh, my office, my little office, was directly over the stage, and I heard the Grateful <laughs> Dead and Brownie, uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee and uh, Mose Allison and Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks and oh, uh, I can't think who all you know, just countless, just wonderful musicians playing right under my feet. <laughs> So, was that uh, distracting to you? Not at all. It was <laughs> entertaining, but um, there were plenty of distractions around anyway. It was downtown Palo Alto in the 1960s, you know. So there was a lot going on. Um, but uh, uh, that was a wonderful place to work. And then... Uh, before I had that, while I was out there, I had a, I lived in La Honda for a couple of years, and I had a little sh- uh, office in an sh- outbuilding, a shed, and uh, it was a cold, damp kind of place. But uh, I had a, I, I, it was all mine, you know. It was out in the redwoods, and keys. Uh, Kesey came to it came into there one time and uh, brought a friend of ours with him and they looked around and Kesey said, "Now look here, this is what dope will do to a really good writer." <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> do you remember what you were writing in those years? Yeah, I was I was writing I was, uh, you know, for many years I was struggling with the natural man. I was just trying to make it happen, and I just pushed it, and it it wouldn't happen, you know, or wouldn't happen as well as I wanted it to happen, and uh, that lasted forever, and. Finally, I came to town and got my office at the Poppycock, and and while I during that period, I started writing um, nonfiction, little essays about things going on. Um, 
Gurney and I were uh, two of the four editors of a publication called The Free You, which was started out as just a little newsletter for the Free University of Palo Alto, you know, which was a going proposition at the time. And the Free You was spelled, the name of it was Free Wow You, of course, and it was a liberated publication. And Gurney and I were the editors, but we worked up the editorial policy, uh, which was that we never turned anything down. (laughs) And we that meant that we had to guarantee that there would be something good in there to be worth that would be worth your trouble you know if you were reading it and so we took it upon ourselves to either write something ourselves or find something by somebody else some of our writer friends and uh uh, it became a really lively and fun publication. And um, I had, uh, I had a, I came home from California, came back to Maysville for a visit, and my folks were there. And um, I had an experience in Maysville, a run-in with a couple of uh, uh, three young guys who wanted to take me apart because I would look like a hippie, you know, a California hippie, which I was. <laughs> and this was happened in a little bar there across the river from Maysville. And I, I talked them into allowing me to buy them a beer before, <laughs> before they busted my ass. Uh, um, and uh, uh, found out after we conversed for a minute, uh, a few minutes, that uh, one of them was the little brother of a great high school buddy of mine. <laughs> so, uh, and he said, Jesus Christ, you're Eddie McClanahan. Why, this is one of the smartest guys in Maysville High School. <laughs> and you still came back to Kentucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, uh, so you know, it kind of was a milestone in my <laughs> development of, of a consciousness. Of Everybody sort. has to get beaten up once or twice, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so when I went back to California, I had a, a minor surgery scheduled. It was just oral surgery, but I, it was going to require me to be in the hospital for two nights. Uh, the night before and the night of the surgery. And so I went to the hospital and I took along a pad of paper and a ballpoint because I thought maybe I was, I'd been thinking about writing about this little encounter that I'd just had had in this bar in May, back home in Maysville. The next morning, early in the morning, they gave me some kind of preparatory mm-hmm. medication. And then the next morning, they gave me a shot of Demerol <laughs> because I was going to have the surgery coming right up. I and bet you wrote 500 words that, I, that morning. What happened? <laughs> I did. What happened was that um, the, uh, they had an emergency in the hospital and they put off uh, 
my surgery for a couple of hours, and there I was riding this Demerol just as high as a kite, and a paper right there in front of me, and I just started writing, and it was totally liberating, you know. I, I ended up, I did write about 500 words, and it just did nothing flat, you know. And after I got out of the surgery and so forth, I looked at it and I thought, God damn, this is not bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out to be um, a piece that uh, actually kind of leads off uh, famous people I've mm. known. And uh, um, it uh, got reprinted here and there and got picked up by some underground writing syndicate mm-hmm. or something and republished here and there. And it had a kind of constituency, I guess you'd call it. What do you tell today, what do you tell young people about your writing life and whether or not uh, they should pursue same? Well, I don't talk to very many young people anymore. <laughs> don't see them much. If I were, I don't know, it's, it's like the best advice that I could give anybody is just pay attention, you know, just, you know, your life story is going on while we talk, you know, and it, it, everything is the potential, has has artistic potential in it, every moment in time, if you just pick it up and and single it out and shape it and look into it and see what it consists of, it's all there. Um, you know, uh, um, I used to tell students that any one of their faces could be the Mona Lisa, you know, if the right painter came along. That even applies to the boys, you know, in the class. Guys with beards. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, you also, um, you haven't stopped writing and... This uh, fast-forwarding now to what uh, you're doing um, that'll be published next year in 2020 and what uh, Gray is doing for you, um, it must be so personally rewarding to know that you're still in the game. It really is. Uh, It astonished me when I realized that I actually had another book. Um, I hadn't... Well, I... I got sick about uh, five years ago, four or five years ago, and uh, I had a liver abscess, uh, it turned out, and uh, I suppose that I was very close to having cirrhosis of the liver. I was, I was lying in a hospital bed, and a couple of doctors were standing at the foot of it, and they were talking about my condition. And one of them said, well, what do you think this could have come from? And the other one said, oh, I don't know, could be the spleen or the thyroid or, you know, they named two or three possibilities. And I'm lying there thinking, wait a minute, I don't think so. I said, excuse me, could you, do you think it has anything to do with drinking? <laughs> and the, to my astonishment, the guy said, no. <laughs> Actually, he he didn't say it that emphatically, yeah. and and it turned out, of course, it did have something to do mm-hmm. with drinking. I mean, but it wasn't it wasn't directly caused by that. Uh, 
And I don't know that they ever did figure out what what the immediate source of it was, but uh, I didn't take advantage of the options there <laughs> involved in that. I, I did not do any more drinking after that. Well, um, congratulations to uh, you and your life of writing and your contribution to uh, the literary richness and the heritage of, of Kentucky. And you're going to be a big part of our of our literary lunch, uh, putting all I'm four of you on stage and, and let you tell some stories uh, <laughs> that'll be uh, have everybody rolling. Uh, does Gurney still laugh at your jokes? He, he better. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. If he doesn't, I won't laugh at his. <laughs> Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.